Hi, I'm Aaron Stevens from Nature's Path Foods. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. You're not going to sing it for me? Three, two, one, maybe? The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. Things you won't hear in a gardening program. Last week, you were complaining about rabbits being rampant in your garden and being a pest. But let me tell you, I've got a rampant rabbit, and when it's in my garden, it causes nothing but joy. (laughs) Well, I've been having terrible trouble with a mole. He keeps on passing confidential information to other gardeners. See here, we see we've got a nice uh, rockery over there, and there's a there's a lovely fountain we put in, and next to that is the tree of knowledge. You will not eat from the tree of knowledge. <laughs> if your lawn suffers from patchy grass, just grow it long one side and comb it over. <laughs> From a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. 20 years and counting as Chicago's go-to deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday morning on Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temper zones and tropic climbs. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 847. A new secure line has been opened for communication. 877 711 5611. Now back to American Radio Broadcast. On Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. And here they are. She's lean and he's green. Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. In demand? Are they in demand? Yeah, they're in demand. Mm-hmm. Quack, quack. Good morning. Uh, well, good is a relative yeah, term. Yeah, that's what I said. Quack. Quack. That's right. Uh, for all of our friends out there enjoying the weather. <laughs> hey, you know, and, and it's interesting because here we are. We're doing a show. Good morning, everybody. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And some places who uh, where it, where some people are listening to our show are not Chicago. We'll talk more about that probably next week. But uh, folks who are listening, they're not being inundated with rain and nasty weather and endless I, cold i imagine that in some places of the country and and the world because we stream live all over the planet mm-hmm. uh they don't have this nasty weather on the other hand when you're trying to get to work uh, it's all you're thinking about and uh and when you're trying to plant stuff in your yard it's all you're thinking about and when you have a guy on your show who is going to talk about butterflies and it's 40 degrees and raining and cold, you're not going to see any butterflies. 
So nope. you have to think about that, and this is part of the deal. It made me think on the way in that this weather, the weather you have at any, you know, whether it's drought and heat, whether it's uh, humidity, whether it's wind, whether it's like here, rain, and, and if you go a little bit north to Wisconsin, snow. snow, they're getting... I was watching the Weather Channel yesterday, and, and every time I turn on the Weather Channel, <laughs> I don't turn on the Weather Channel that often anymore. One of the reasons is because they name their storms, okay? and That's a problem. Yes. That's a problem. And they have named this storm. And I'm thinking, well, wait a second. They're still calling it a winter storm, and it's April something, middle 15th. of April. We're f- middle yep. of April. When do you stop? And now are we going to start naming summer storms too? Yeah, you know they're going to do. You know they're going to do that. So, folks, just 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 letting you know, I have to get this out because I have to get it out of my system. Storms do not have names. Okay, they do not have names. Hurricanes. Okay, I will grant you that because it's a tr- tradition. We've been doing that for decades. Hurricanes, typhoons. Yes. Okay, but- I can live with that. I, but that's it. All right. Other storms do not have names. But at any rate, so I'm turning it on, and there's a blizzard in, in Minneapolis. I'm thinking, holy smoke. Middle of April, we got blizzards. It's crazy weather. But it affects everything. It affects all the guests on our show, starting with our first guest, uh, Cheryl Jolcher. And I hope that's the way you pronounce her last name. I'm going to find out in a second. She's with Yellow Brick Properties, which combines realty and sustainability. And in my book, that's an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. And we're going to find out if if she thinks the same thing. But I think that's such a cool thing. But she's not showing any homes today in this. Are you kidding me? You're not going to. However... The home she does show, she's going to be thinking about this, and they're going to think about, is does it get flooded? Is, I mean, that's... A, How's that's, the water being managed on the exactly. property? Exactly. Is it going into the sewers? Is it going into the ground? This is great stuff to talk about. Then the second guest, also related to the weather, Cameron Davis, who was the write-in winner in the primary, the Illinois primary for the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. He got 54,000 write-in votes. And... That's an important job because it deals with our stormwater. Guess what? Relates to the weather we're having right now. And then in the second hour, I'm very excited to bring back Doug Terran, Ph.D. from the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. We'll be talking butterflies, except you're not seeing butterflies, are you? At least you're, not here. You're, <laughs> not right now. Maybe it's true. Again, like I say, some of you listening to the show are seeing butterflies. A lot of us here in the Midwest are some, seeing stink bugs. Some parts of the east. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask him about a stink bug. I've had four of them show up in my house this winter. Not a good sign. Anyway, these are all the folks we have on the show today. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We hope you stick around for all of it. We'll be right back. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. 
It's plant sale time, and here's the wonderful news. Wherever you live in the Chicago area, there's a plant sale near you that includes a large variety of native plants. Now, we can't list them all here, but we want you to know there's a great place to find all the local sales. Go to chicagolivingcorridors.org for a comprehensive list, or just go to mikenovak.net and click on the plant sale link. Some sales have pre-order requirements. Go native or go home. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO. Yeah, this is what <laughs> this is what's going on outside. I feel like I got to put on my parka. Get out in the rain. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, in the studio here, we have uh, uh, the woman to whom I referred earlier, Cheryl Julcher. And I was, okay, we're going to start the show with two pronunciation deals here, okay? okay. First of all, just, just step, step right mic, up yeah. to the mic. Julcher, I have not heard that name before. What's that's German, right? Right, it's German. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Are there a lot of Julchers around? I've not heard that. Only my relatives. That's the only ones I've met. That's it. That's it. So as you said, blame your husband. Right, exactly. All right. Can I ask what your maiden name was? Martin. Ah! I know. (laughs) Easy. (laughs) There you go. That would be, yeah. But I don't know. People will remember Jolcher if only because they won't remember it. They'll say, oh, I, well, I know the, that name. It's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhymes with culture. Rhymes mm-hmm. with culture. There yeah. you go. Uh, here's the second pronunciation question today. Okay. All right. Realtor or realtor? Realtor. Thank you. <laughs> realtor. And she says realtor. Right. As in T-O-R, not T-E-R. Realtor. Uh, and uh, apologies to all the folks who like to say realtor, because yeah. uh, that ain't right. All right? And I went online uh, before the show, and when I, I posted it on my blog, if you go to MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net, and you go to the first article, you'll see uh, I found a, a link to a University of Minnesota English professor mm-hmm. who became yeah. a realtor, yeah. and he said, you know, I, I get it. I don't want to be the, the, the language police here, but it is Realtor. Yes. Um, so that's just, but we mispronounce everything. I mean, I don't, I, I, I keep hearing uh, electoral college. No, it's electoral college. All right, folks. It's just, I don't know what it that's is. It's like we, the old nuclear. Uh, nuclear. Well, yeah, that's, 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 and, and, and for the people who say nuclear, they just can't help themselves. They have no idea that they're doing it. But uh, maybe it's the same with realtor. I don't Could know. be. Everybody yeah. says it wrong, and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. So you put together this company. 
Uh, and who's that fellow wandering around taking photographs here? Oh, the... that's my business partner, Eric Somberg. Uh, Eric, okay, yeah. and he's one of your one of your partners. Mm-hmm. But you have a couple of entities with a couple of partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's start with Yellow Brick Properties Inc. And I will. All right, the, here's here's a shout out to LinkedIn, folks. Because uh, that's where I found you. Uh, you connected with me on LinkedIn, and I I actually like to read about the people who are asking to be my LinkedIn connections and see what they're mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. And I saw your business. I went, wait a second. I've never heard of sustainability connected with real estate. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, as I said earlier, kind of an oxymoron. So I'm going to write to Cheryl and see if she wants to talk about it. And she said, yeah. And you're right in the neighborhood too. Basically, you're you're in Evanston as well. Right, our office is in Evanston, over on Ashland. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So how does that happen? How does how does a person like you decide that they want to start a company that focuses on sustainability when you're selling a home? And we'll get to your other <laughs> company, the spinoff of that, in a second. Right. But how how did this get going? So we started Yellow Brick. Um, we were my partner. When I say we, I mean Eric and I. We were working for um, another home builder. He was doing sales. I was doing land acquisition. And um, that person actually went out of business, sadly. And we're left with um, what is quality? You know, how how do you go about finding what quality actually means in construction? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we spent some time. Um, we toured a bunch of new construction homes, went on open houses, and we're like, this is not this quality. Is not quality. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you know, basic I got, new I got, construction. I got, yeah. I got I got three on my block that I want to show you to uh, show to you. Uh, and they want two of them got put up on where we used to have our community garden. So mm-hmm. I have a stake in that one. And I got a dog in that hunt. Uh, and, and they and they're twin homes. And they. Can, all right. Here's a question for you. Yeah. Can you tell from the outside whether a home is junk? Oh, sure. There's a lot you can see from the outside. All right. What would Absolutely. you, if you're going by a house, what are you looking for from the outside that tells you that it's not sustainable? That's that's hard because um, you can't see behind walls and things right. like that. Mm-hmm. But um, sustainable, if we just go back to what the definition of sustainable is, yeah. which means that you can do something over and over again. So um, that's why. Without bringing more materials to bear and using a precious resources. Right, yeah, right. Exactly. Right, exactly. That's why solar is sustainable mm-hmm. because you, you can keep doing it over and over again. Not today, but, <laughs> but no. I, generally speaking. Yeah. So um, a, for a home to be sustainable is about how it's constructed, um, reducing waste, reducing your carbon footprint, and um, using materials that are more eco-friendly. And what what you actually say on your website is placing health and well-being mm-hmm. into the center of the real estate practice. This is what your company mm-hmm. does. Right. Dedicated, knowledgeable, and trained brokers in the construction process and building sciences. There's that word, science. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a company that understands, explains, and educates its clients in what green means in the context of real estate. Right, right. I mean, I, I'll tell you, when I was looking for my home 18 years ago, none of this stuff mm-hmm. came up. There's, of course, this, I, as you said in an article that I, could, uh, I linked to on my blog, you, you might be the only company in the country that's doing something like this. Yeah, we're the only ones that I know of. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of green brokers. There's a lot mm-hmm. of brokers with the green designation. Yeah. 
I just don't know of any company out there that is kind of singular around that, that's this That's your issue. whole focus. Right. Wow. Right. So uh, you're you're tied in both with helping homeowners to find greener homes, people who are doing remodels, new construction, linking them with architects and products and and understanding the health of the home too. Right, exactly. Um kind of going back to how we started. Eric and I went on the Green Belt Home Tour mm-hmm. that's done by USGBC mm-hmm. every year um we, in, and, in July. and now they've changed their name in Illinois. Yes, they have. Which Hey, USGBC, uh, 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 I, I'm not I a, can't think of the name. I'm not a fan of the new name. Just letting you know, I don't I, I got to talk to your marketing people. Can we get together in a room and have a little chat about that? I, I'm going to find the name of it because I can't even remember. I, know, I can't it's, remember. It's like Illinois Green something. I think it's like Green Alliance. Or, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I keep yeah. thinking Green Build, but no, that's the show. That's right. Not, that's but the everybody tour. knew yeah. USGBC. That was the... Green Building Council, you know? Right. It's easy to oh, say well. and whatever. Yeah. Okay. So you went on they the, didn't ask us. Yeah, you went on the Green Built tour. Right. And then we discovered this is quality. I mean, literally blown away. We went on the tour. We had um, the builders of these homes were giving group tours throughout. And give me an example of what is quality. It's it's the way it's built. It's sealed thermal envelope. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's it's buttoned up. It's tight. So thereby, uh, less air is going to be leaking out of the home mm-hmm. or leaking into the home. Um, you know, the air goes both ways. So that that's important. Um, that's the first thing. Ventilation. So when we talk about indoor air quality and the healthy homes, mm-hmm. this is the healthy part of that. So you have to be um, careful about the ventilation because what happens when you button up a home? So tight. I call it like the plastic bag effect, yeah. right? Yeah. So you can't breathe after a while or the toxins begin to build up, right? So you have to really be careful with ventilation mm-hmm. um, and and the comfort. Uh, your, your heating and cooling system has to be right-sized. Oftentimes out there, we're seeing people just kind of doing the rule of thumb. Well, they'll put the same size, you know, do you want one furnace or two? And they'll put the same size in there regardless. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, you know, and I'm going to give a shout out to our friends. You need to listen to Mighty House Home Improvement Radio, okay. which is Saturday morning here on WCGO from 7 to 10 a.m. Ron Calgill. I was going to have him originally. I was thinking, well, if, for one thing, we'll probably have you back on the show to talk about these issues because mm-hmm. that's when I want to bring in Ron. And you ought to be on his show. And Ron's usually listen to the show. And I'm saying, Ron, you got to bring Cheryl on to talk about these issues because this is what Ron does. Mm-hmm. Ron is into uh, sustainability in housing. And he goes in and he, and he tells me these horror stories of oh. uh, of these constructions. And he goes in and then he has to fix it right. and try to bring it up to code. And not only code, make it safe, make it uh, healthy, uh, stuff that you should be getting from the get-go, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, with just a little bit of of planning, um, you can really make a huge difference in your house. And we're not talking adding a bunch of money. It's it's it's, it's, it's more phenomenal. The, the materials and the methods, you know, right. going for your low VOC. But are mater- the exactly. materials more expensive? In some cases, but but what you're gaining, so you got to look at your total cost yeah, of ownership over time. Down the road. Yes, yeah. is actually less because maintenance is less, mm-hmm. um, your heating, cooling bills are less, um, and we would even say get rid of gas in your home altogether. No, really? No combustion. should be all electric. Mm-hmm. All electric. That's interesting. Yep. Ron, what do you think of that, dude? <laughs> uh, Again, it's a ventilation issue in part. And, and I see right. 
Our, our, our friend Sandra Henry is is listening as well this morning, and she's probably going to take issue with our comment about the USGBC. Uh, but uh, she understands all this stuff too. And Ron, uh, that's interesting. I mm-hmm. see. I've got gas, and for one thing, I hate it uh, because uh, it's it's going to break the bank. Um, and I live in a barn. 130-year-old home that I'm constantly yep. – and, and and Ron, again, I bring up Ron Cowgill. He came out this winter, mm-hmm. and we brought our insulation in the attic up to speed, uh, the R value, mm-hmm. uh, and added some lights as well in the upstairs because we had to pull strings on everything. Uh, but I can already see the difference in my bills, which is amazing. Right. I If – I had to guess. I say that I'm going to recoup my investment within three or four years total tops yep. mm-hmm. because it was that bad. And are you more comfortable? Yes. You can and tell the difference, the other, Yes, right? I can tell the yeah. difference. You're not yeah. getting a breeze going through the house. Oh, right. Uh, well, we still have a breeze. <laughs> well, <I laughs> but, mean, well, but just from the air circulation yeah. due to hot and cold. There's still other things to, that we have to address. But, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's part of the deal, too, is you're looking at older homes made with generally better materials mm-hmm. Right. Stronger. Here's the problem. All right, let's let's take my house for example, because okay. Ron has said to me, "Oh yeah, you got to tear down there." And other people said, "You got to tear down." I said, "No way," because mm-hmm. I'm not selling this house unless the realtor promises me that they're going to sell it. Well, I'm not going to sell it until I got a buyer who says we're going to keep the house. Mm-hmm. And then if they tear it down after they buy it, but they're buying it for the price of keeping the house, so that's the way I look at it. But um, that's I feel like no, I'm not going to contribute to this process where then you put up a piece of junk right on the same footprint. Right? Um, do you do you look at things like that? And people, if I had that request and I came to you, do you think you'd be able to work with me? Oh, absolutely. We can work with you to make your existing home better. Um, more efficient, more comfortable, healthier. And at the same time, if you wanted to build a new home, that's what Zoetic Building Consultants mm-hmm. was spinoff for. Great transition here. All right, let's go into Zoetic. That's so that you started Yellow Brick Properties. Right. And then you decided, well, if we can help people find homes, why can't we help them build homes as well? And thus, Zoet, is that how that worked? That, yes, that's pretty much how it worked. When we went on the, the first Green Built Home Tour, um, they're not calling these homes anything. We need to brand them, you know, so because we're salespeople and, right, you know, right, that's right. kind of where our brain set comes in. And so we came up with Zoetic as a name for these homes. And then we came up with attributes like, OK, what do we want to include in a Zoetic home? And we want them to be healthy, safe, smart, comfortable, sustainable and energy efficient. And those, we we actually even uh, trademarked that string because that's what a Zoetic home is. It has to meet each one of those mm-hmm. attributes to be able to be called that. And who are, you have to work with people. Sure. Uh, yep. What kind of companies are you working with uh, with Zoetic? We work with architects, uh, builders, and, you know, any homeowner or, you know, individual person mm-hmm. who wants to build one of these kind of homes. By the way, our buddy Ron Cowgill is watching us on Facebook, and uh, he writes... Does she work with ComEd? It is a good idea if you can add solar. And she did mention solar at the top, so that's that's an important thing. And I right. assume you work with, with ComEd as we well. We do. We we work with, with them and other solar installers. Um, and it's just a matter of we like to sit down and get projects. Right. Um, what are the goals for the project? You know, yeah, and what's what, going to work for that homeowner? Exactly. They're all individual mm-hmm. um, 
goals that, you know, or things that they want out of that project. Yeah. So the first step is to sit down and, and plan out the goals of the project. What are you trying to accomplish? And uh, Bill Turk from uh, Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall on at 1 o'clock here, right here on WCGO. He writes, the Turk house is all electric, would never go back to gas, cleaner, safer, cheaper, and moves us closer to getting off the grid with solar. Nice. Uh, well, you know, and I, I when I bought my house, mm-hmm. I always had the idea, perhaps wrongly, that electric was more of a problem, that it was more expensive. Because I'm used to like baseboard heaters and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you think, wow, you're you're using a lot of electricity to heat. Why is it better now? Well, for one thing, you got to think that gas is is combustion. And it's it's also putting the fumes a, in yeah. in your house. Yeah. So no electric house that I know of has ever blown up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you know it's just safer. Number one, and it it doesn't give off the fumes. It's healthier. Um, here's an an odd fact. They're actually saying now, you know, at Thanksgiving and the tryptophan that everybody yeah. wants to take mm-hmm. a nap. Actually, now they're saying. It, it's not because of anything in the turkey. It's because you've had your gas stove on all day. Oh, my goodness. That makes That's total why sense. everybody is, yeah. We'll right? have to check into that. Well, yeah. listen, we're going to do this again. Okay, I want great. you to come back. Uh, I want you to keep in touch with us. Okay. Let us know what you're up to. Mm-hmm. I want you to talk to Ron Cowgill. And how can people get in touch with you? Um, via email, uh, Cheryl at ybproperties.com. And also you can find us on the web at ybproperties.com. YB as properties, in properties as in yellow brick yep. properties.com. Uh, and you can go to my website, mikenovak.net. I've got all the links there. Cheryl Jolcher, thank you so much for coming in. It's such a pleasure to meet you. And like I said, we're going to talk again very soon. Perfect. I would love it. All right. Thanks, Cheryl. Thank it's you. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We're talking more water <laughs> when we come back. Do you know that Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? This is Peggy, and I know this is true because for eight years I've been publishing Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and they're ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicago who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, doctors, dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. After a big party is over, the people get to go home, but all the decorations get thrown in the trash. That's why there's Random Acts of Flowers. RAF collects flowers used at weddings, memorial services, and community events, then repurposes them into beautiful bouquets to deliver to people in healthcare facilities. It's a small and simple gesture, but when you see the smiles on people's faces, it's more than worth it. To learn more, call 847-430-4751 or go online at rafchicago.org. 
It might be winter, but you can still visit farmer's markets hosted by many different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through April. Your purchase of local, sustainably produced food helps support regional farmers. The markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of diverse faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. For a market schedule and to learn more, go to faithinplace.org. You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue, visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80. How high is the water, mama? <laughs> Two feet high and rise. How high is the water, papa? She said it's two feet high and rising. But we can make it to the road in a homemade boat Cause that's the only thing we got left that'll float It's already over all the wheat notes Two feet high and rising Well, in our case, my case, it's already over all the daffodils and uh, My yard's underwater And my ginger, which is trying to My wild ginger, which is trying to uh, sprout But you can see the leaves that it's saying Mine are still hiding (laughs) Are they? Yeah, I got that a little bit Uh, Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. By the way, let me tell you something. There's a song, not uh, Johnny Cash, about water and all the water that's coming down outside. There's a song about beans that I'm not going to quote here because it has something to do with music and it refers to them as fruit. Now, everybody knows that beans are vegetable, right? And it turns out that they're easy to grow and they're pretty darn tasty. At least that's Mm -hmm. what Carolyn Ulrich, my nemesis and editor at Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, writes in the latest issue. And as for tooting, I I don't have any idea what that's about. Do you? Uh, Carolyn doesn't mention the word toot at all uh, in her article. I do use it once or twice in my column on the inside back page, but... That's it. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600-888-265-3600. Let us go immediately to the phone line. Uh, and bring in former candidate, well, st- actually still candidate, mm-hmm. former primary candidate and now general election candidate, Cam Davis. Cam, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Peggy. Hey, good morning, Cam. You got snow up there in Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah, we do. But that's all right. Won't be long. Spring's coming. How, how far up in Wisconsin are you right now? No, we're just we're just over the border. We're uh, just over okay, the border. so you're you're probably getting some kind of mix up there right now, eh? Yeah, it's been kind of sleeting and things like that, but it's all water, you know, that's the mm-hmm. great thing. Well, and that's and that's the point. And I mentioned at the top of the show, it seems like everything on our program today uh, relates to the weather that we're having right now, whether it's the, the temperatures or the, the humidity or the moisture. And right now, it's the moisture. We've got a mm-hmm. lot of rain coming down in uh, the Chicago area, and that's what you're all about because you just ran for the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. You ran for a commissioner's seat that opened up unexpectedly in December. We talked about it. You were on the show at the beginning of March uh, before the primary, 
And your goal was to collect somewhere north of 8,000 write-in votes, meaning people had to sit down and write your name in. Um, and uh, would you care to tell us, Cam Davis, how that turned out for you? Well, thanks to everybody who had a hand in this, uh, it turned out well. There's uh, there, there were more than 54,000 write-in votes cast. Wow. Uh, for yeah, it's it's something that um, took me by surprise, um, but um, you know, thrilled with the outcome. And of course, uh, running has never been about me. It's been because of our water and how important it is to this region. We are a water-rich region. Mm-hmm. We're a water a region that's based on the importance of water. And the water reclamation district, just as the name suggests, has a huge role to play and making sure that we're tending our water the way we should be, not just for the sake of our current economy and our quality of life, but for the generations that are to follow. And so that's that's been the goal along, is to make sure that, that um, the Water Reclamation District does its part on behalf of all of us. And that's why this race has been so important. And I think folks need to understand, uh, one of the things that I saw, it was a, a comment either on Facebook or in a, after a news story, somewhere, I think it might have been on one of my sites, where, where somebody got upset and said, I wish the news media would stop referring to the MWRD as this obscure little agency. Uh, And uh, I'll be honest with you, Cam, I do too. My feeling is that uh, if they call it obscure, it's because they're ignorant. And and it's not just the responsibility of the media, because you are a billion-dollar agency uh, serving the, the Cook County area, Uh, But it's not just the responsibility of the media, it's the responsibility of the voters to -hmm. understand this agency, what it does, and and how important it is so that they don't skip that part of the ballot or they make votes or they cast their votes that uh, they know nothing about, like judges. Would you care to explain the importance of the agency? Well, sure. The district is, uh, to me, it's the most important environmental agency in northeastern Illinois for our our region. And fortunately, uh, commissioners like Deborah Shore Mm -hmm. and Josina Morita have really elevated the importance of the district over the past several years so that more and more people are understanding just what the district does why it's important to our daily lives, and uh, trying to bend the direction of the district to be poised to handle what's coming at us in the future. So uh, it is something that more and more people need to know about, if for no other reason than when you get your tax bill, the district is on there. We're paying taxes into this district. So we want good leadership to make sure that those tax dollars are being spent wisely and that we're not being reactive. We're being proactive in a, a changing environment and a changing climate. Yeah, uh, back in December, uh, just after Commissioner Tim Bradford suddenly passed away, um, there was a ceremony at the McCook Reservoir mm-hmm. um, that I went out to um, at the invitation of Commissioner Deborah Shore. And basically we went out and, and it's along I-55 and people driving by I-5, down I-55 have no idea that it's there. Most of the... Looks like a quarry or something down yeah, there. Yeah, and, and that's what they think it is. Uh, and it, at the time it was a big open pit. 
<laughs> there was very little at the bottom of it, and now it's filled. It's because of all this rain we've had, and it's it's one of the storage areas for the water, and it's it's part of the way it's part of the big tunnel project, and part of the way that management uh, we're doing management of uh, our water resources in the uh, Chicago area, and that's and that's basically some of the stuff that you do. Um, and, uh, I imagine that you, you've been out that way and it's, uh, just part of what your task is, uh, if you're going to be elected to the MWRD, but let, let's talk about that for a second. So, uh, I want to know exactly what happens now, Cam, um, sure. you, <laughs> you got these write-in votes and by the way, it was not easy. Uh, if you read the, the there's an article that the Sun-Times wrote and that I've uh, linked to my website, MikeNovak.net, and it talks about the different ways that your name was spelled. And they gave you mm. kind of a wide leeway there for uh, uh, intent of of the voter, which was good. Um, I'll tell you, I a, a friend of mine who's very smart and very savvy went into the ballot, uh, the, the voting booth, and got it wrong the first time and had to ask for a new ballot um, because he, uh, he, he put this in there and uh, he realized he had put it in the wrong place. And he asked the, uh, the, the the person working there, he said, can can I just cross that out and put in a new one? And they said, no, you better take a new ballot. So some people jump through hoops of fire to vote for you, Cam. I'll, I'll have you know. Um, yeah, and, and, and I got that. Um, standing outside of early voting and on primary day, I heard a lot about people coming out saying that wasn't very easy. So, um, you know, to me, here's how I see it. The fact that 54,000 people, more than that, actually, went to the trouble of writing anybody in, whether it was me or anyone else who was running for this seat, Mm -hmm. and went to the trouble of, in some instances, going back, getting a new ballot so that they could get it right, is... To me, it's just so indicative of how people feel right now that this is a time where we need to we need to unite unite with each other. We need to really be good stewards of our water, and that involves electing people who care like they do and understand that water is life, um, especially in our region. So uh, I really give credit to uh, people who turned out, who educated themselves, and stuck with it to see it through. Um, Mike, you asked what happens next. So at this point, the numbers all look good. We are waiting for the certification to happen, which should happen on or before the 20th. We've gotten conflicting dates, but that's what it looks like now. And then once that happens, uh, the name Cameron Davis ought to be on the November ballot. And when that happens, I'll, uh, that's the, that's what we're aiming for. We got to get through November to make all of this work official. But the good news is it won't be a write-in at that yeah. point yeah. Uh, for the November ballot. This... It will, my name will appear on the ballot, and then people can vote uh, for me. They can vote for Deborah Shore. They can vote for uh, Marcelino Garcia uh, and uh, Carrie Steele and Kim Dubuclay. So there are five of us who are running in November on uh, our party's uh, ballot, uh, who will provide great leadership for the for the natural resource that we all care so much about. Are you going to have, is there going to be anybody else uh, that uh, you're in competition with for that that seat? It's hard to say at this point. Uh, we know that Governor Rauner has appointed 
somebody to fill that seat. The appointment alleges to be good until 2020. That's filling um, the Bradley seat. But that seat. doesn't, Brad, the Bradford vacancy Bradford, that people Bradford. wrote in for. Yes, correct, Peggy. Um, so we know that Governor Rauner is trying to extend that uh, appointment for two years beyond what uh, can be appointed for. And so that's something that has to get sorted out right now. But as it stands, if, if that's the case, that it's an, a 2020 appointment, then it's hard to understand how that person could be then on the ballot for 2018. You, you really can't have it both ways. But yeah. uh, we don't think that that appointment, is, I think it goes beyond the governor's authority to appoint for the two extra years. Well, um, a lot of folks are talking about a court case brewing uh, yeah. over that uh, appointment. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second here. We're going to take a short break and be back with Cam Davis, who got 54,000 write-in votes. <laughs> it's just funny when I when I think about it in the uh, the primary for uh, the MWRD commissioner's post, and we'll talk more about that. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Stick around. When's the last time you made a deposit in your ecosystem savings account? What I mean is that native plants are an investment in the future. They help to provide clean water, clean air, sequester carbon, mitigate climate change, and more. All of which have a major economic impact on global commerce and health impacts on humans, even in your own backyard. Natural Communities Native Plants can help you enrich yourself and the world around you. For starters, they have the largest selection of native plants, shrubs, and trees in the Midwest. And if this is the year you ditch that turf lawn for a native alternative, they offer Lomo lawn blends, sedge lawn kits, or knee-high meadows if you're feeling really brave. They even have native garden kits for beginners. You can take it to the bank. The birds, bees, butterflies, and other critters will think you're a financial genius. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Naturalcommunities.net. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago Smart Talk. What is this place? You're in uncharted territory. What do you mean? Where are we? I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know what it is. Tell us your name, please. 1590. WCGO Chicago. All right, L.A., put your hands together and let's welcome Clarence Felton and the Blind Boys of Alabama. I didn't come here looking for Jesus. I brought him along with me. Rain, rain, rain. Well, it isn't it rain, Jerry? It's gonna send the water from Zion. It's gonna raise the heaven up high. It 
Yeah, it's going. It already is. It's uh, raining pretty good out there. Uh, Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're very pleased to have on the program this morning uh, when I saw the articles about uh, all the votes that you got and mm-hmm. uh, 54,000, I said, Cam Davis has to come back and, and talk to us about the process because it so far it hasn't been a long, strange trip. It's been kind of a short, strange trip for you, hasn't it, Cam? <laughs> yeah, I think in a normal race, Mike, you'd spend about a year planning, maybe six months to a year planning to run and then another 12 months or so running. Um, and in this one, we pretty much went from January 20th to March 20th, uh, so two months wow. uh, on this one. So it was a very truncated, very quick. Uh, it was a sprint, not not a run. Uh, I'll, I'll be uh, but, honest. Uh, with... That that kind of made it fun too. Yeah. yeah, but I'll be honest with you. This is the way we need to run races in the United States. We we have proven that we're not good stewards of democracy. Because what happens in our country is the second we have the election, the day next day we're running for the next election, we got to stop that. It's killing us. It's killing our democracy. And uh, I love the way they do it in Britain, where it's six months and done, and get out of there. I love the idea of the two months. That might be a little yeah. too, that might be a little too short, but uh, I say six months is about right. Uh, and, 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 and my feeling is that you can't campaign outside of that window. You can't raise money outside of that window. It's like, you're done. Uh, and and I know that's never going to happen in this country, but we have to, we have to do something like that. This, this constant campaigning, I think is, it's voter fatigue. Yeah. Nobody cares. It's and, And that's all that gets reported then, because all we talk about is the horse race and we don't talk about policy. And with the MWRD, obviously, so much of it is about policy because there's not not a whole lot of horse race to MWRD, is there, Cam? Um, well, there's there there is a lot of race, unfortunately. But okay, right. maybe there it's is one of those. <laughs> but but policy yeah, wise, no, yeah, well, I, I, yeah, and I but I think policy wise, it's one of the most important agencies out there. Like you said earlier, Mike, it's a one billion dollar plus mm-hmm. agency uh, annually. It it has a lot to do with whether our properties flood or don't. It has a lot to do with whether we have waterways that are safe and healthy or not. So it really needs to be more about policy. But um, that's kind of why I ran. As I'm a policy geek, I've never run for office <laughs> before, and. I wanted to make sure that we keep the district on the right track and that this is a place for people to run who care about water. They want to do the right thing when it comes to policy. It's not a place for people to go to just run for office because that's what they want to do. And if we're talking about CHOPs, you definitely have them. You were the president and CEO of the Alliance for the Great Lakes. Um, You started the Adopt-A-Beach program. Peggy talks about it all the time because I know you go out there a lot Mm -hmm. to help with that. She's uh, always involved with that. Uh, you were the uh, were President Obama's Great Lakes Czar. That's that's the the nickname for for what you were doing with the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. Uh, so you do have a background in this, and I think that's why so many people like Deb Shore, like Senator Dick Durbin, like uh, Representative uh, Mike Quigley, uh, and others uh, endorsed you. And 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 I wonder what I want. I mean, Deborah Shore is a rock star. <laughs> 
um, <laughs> because she went out there. She cut she this. She is a rock star. She is. And, and, and you can tell, you know, I, she says this is her last time and this is going to be her last term. So you can tell that in some ways she don't give a darn. She's going out there and she's going to do what she thinks is right. Mm-hmm. So she cut this video for you that uh, I've got a link to on my website. Really edgy and really fun. Uh, and uh, I was kind of surprised when I saw it. But I went, Wow. That, Go Deb. Yeah, really. <laughs> and 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 I think though that's a sign of a of a of of a movement that's really good, Cam, because we didn't know whether you could get eight thousand right in votes. You got fifty four thousand. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think that yeah, there's enough people paying attention. There's enough people who are out there and concerned about um you know, Peggy and I talk about environment environmental issues on this show all the time and you wonder if it's just going out into the ether and is anybody paying attention is 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 anything going to get done um and uh, i guess the answer would be a resounding yes based on the results of this primary election would you agree cam i do agree and and i think it is the whenever you're talking about the environment with air quotes it's it's tough because the environment is everything and so Different people think about the environment in different ways. Some people think of it as we got to get the government to do what it's supposed to do, like the district, like Congress, like like the U.S. EPA. Um, some people think of it as, well, I'm going to make decisions around my home that are good for the environment. Some people think of it in other ways, like what companies should be doing. And in reality, it's all of those things. So it's very diffuse. It's it's all it's ubiquitous. And I think that that's part of why it's so it's it's a public policy discussion that is so hard to put your finger on a lot of times. But at the end of the day, what it's really about is our health and our safety, and that's uh, and that's why the district is so important is because so, it ought to be about protecting our health. It ought to be about protecting our our safety um, when it relates to health, and it also ought to be about making sure that our water is clean so that we're protecting the diversity of life around our region. So from a policy standpoint, where is the district involved in doing that sort of thing in protecting health and keeping the water clean? How do you interact with the other, the other government bodies on a policy level? Well, um, that I think Peggy is part of why this election was such a mandate in so many ways. I think people were seeing that at the federal level, uh, this administration has been rolling back public and environmental protections at the state level. The state is in disarray. Um, And so I think at some level, people went to the polls understanding that our municipal agencies, like the Water Reclamation District, are our last line of defense to help fight back and to help make sure that we are protecting ourselves. Mm -hmm. So they really do, federal, state, local, municipal, they they really do have a lot to do with one another. And that came through in this race. Okay. We have a question, real quick, in 10 seconds, question from someone on Facebook. What about Asian carp? Yeah. Well, I spent uh, eight years of my life in the Obama administration working to block Asian carp, and I don't see stopping in that fight. Um, it's it's a longer discussion to have, mm-hmm. but the short, quick answer is that we need to do a variety of different things. We can't just do one thing to keep those those fish out, uh, but it is a 
critical imperative that we keep them out. Yeah, that, that's something you dealt with uh, with the, the Alliance for the Great Lakes and something we've talked about here in the show, and we're, we're not doing nearly enough. And it's it's almost as if uh, some of the uh, agencies are waiting for something bad to happen and then say, oh, okay, let's 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 work on this problem now. Hey, uh, before we go, Cam, um, you mentioned very – we just have a few seconds left. Uh, do you anticipate this uh, – the, the battle between you and Governor – it's not you personally, but Governor Rauner appointing somebody to the position and then you uh, getting uh, – running in the race for – to be elected <laughs> by the public. Do you see that going to the court? It's too early to say, Mike. I have to wait and make sure that the certification takes place. Um, and then I'm gonna, and then we're gonna have to reassess at that point. And and if it does go to the courts, is that you who has to do that, or or, or, or somebody else handles it? Yeah. Well, we're doing the research right now. <laughs> okay. Gotta, it's it's uh, complicated, so we gotta make sure we do it the right way. I guess, as they would say, we're in uncharted waters. Okay, Cam Davis, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Peggy. Good luck to you. The Mike Jobach Show with Peggy Balecki will be back after No Name News. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847 A new secure line has been opened for communication. 877-711-5611. Now please make enjoy for second hour capitalist radio. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me Welcome back. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. And it is my honor and privilege to welcome back a friend of the show uh, who's sitting right here. And he's sitting. We're standing. Uh, but that's okay. That's fine because you're the guest. Can I get you a, a pillow? Can I... Uh, <laughs> no, I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, okay, good. Uh, uh, you sure? I, I some water. Uh, Ellie, can we can can we get him a, a beer? No, no, that's a little early. No, 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 no. That, no. that would perhaps be, a mimosa. That would be Bill Turk. Okay, if, <laughs> a mimosa. Yeah, uh, and that is Doug Terran, uh, sometimes known as the Butterfly Guy. But as I wrote in my blog yesterday, uh, that's not doing you justice because. Um, you're the director of the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network, uh, president and co-steward of Friends of Bluff Spring Fen, on the steering committee of the International Migratory Dragonfly Partnership and the North American Butterfly Monitoring Network. 
Uh, you're on the mayor's committee, committee, committee for nature and wildlife in Chicago, a member of the Lepidopterist Society. The, is that the Sonoran? Is that how you pronounce that? Sonoran? Sonoran? Okay. the Because Son- I don't know. The Sonoran Arthropod Studies Institute, the American Association of the Advancement of Science, and the American Alliance of Museums. I don't think he's got anything to do, though. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, hokey smokes, Wendell. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive stuff. I lead it all life. <laughs> well, you know, and there are people who think you do because... They'll, they they probably think, oh, he's out chasing butterflies. He's got a big he's, net in his hand and I he's know. running around. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that, though? Uh, and so welcome. And, and of course, um, uh, Doug uh, is associated with the uh, the science, the Chicago Science, the Chicago Academy of Sciences. Thank you, Michael. Um, which is, you know, as the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. And that's got to be just a little bit confusing because it was the Chicago Academy of Sciences and then they built the Peggy Notabart and now everybody knows it as the Peggy Notabart. And I, and, and when you, I imagine that sometimes in this day and age, 20 years down the road, when people say the Chicago Academy of Science or you say that, people scratch their heads and you go, what's that? Because they know the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. And so sometimes, you know, like your um, Twitter handle is just Nature Museum. There mm-hmm. you go. That kind of says it <laughs> yeah. all, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So uh, welcome to the show again. It's always a pleasure to have you on here because we're going to talk insects and critters, <laughs> but mostly insects here um, and, and mostly butterflies. Uh, so here we are wandering into 2018. Oh, and the other thing we have to to acknowledge is the 30th anniversary of the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network. Uh, happy birthday. And it was just uh, uh, Citizen Science Day. Yeah. So all of that good stuff. Time for a party. It Really? Why not? We're Hey, let's release the butterflies. No, no, no. It's don't, too cold. Don't do that. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a bad thing. Uh and, and, and Doug is nodding. Um, maybe I don't, I don't think we go down that road yet, but, uh, 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 so congratulations on the 30th anniversary of, of that. Uh, and the cool thing about the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network is it's spreading like a fungus to other states, right? <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, I forget the exact number. It's like 13 or 14 states that have programs that use the protocol used by the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network for data collection. And most of these were uh, used the uh, uh, Illinois network as a, a model and emulated our program here. So that's been very, very exciting. And the the program in Illinois, what are the hallmarks of the program in Illinois? It, you know, 30 years down the road, you must have learned a lot. Well, we have. First of all, we've gathered a heck of a lot of data. Uh, we sometime this summer will cross... Uh, a milestone of having 14,000 surveys in our database. And so that's a lot of data uh, that we've got to work with. And we've seen uh, a bunch of stuff. We've seen um, uh, in the last few years some interesting and uh, puzzling declines in overall butterfly numbers. And uh, this goes back, oh, four or five years. It's very preliminary data at this point, but uh, it's something we're trying to dig into at the moment and and find out, is this real? Is this some sort of artifact? Are other people seeing it? Mm, that's that's not uh, encouraging. No. No, it's, it's um, 
most of the time, the news that we've had from the monitoring network has been uh, at least somewhat encouraging. Mm -hmm. We've seen things like uh, on areas where um, ecological management is going on, that the butterflies that require these specialized areas are doing well and holding their own. So this is this is a little bit of perhaps more alarming news that hmm. we're seeing at the moment. Uh, now, if you ask me if I'm surprised at that, I would probably say no, uh, given that we, you know, and we'll get into monarchs in a second. But if you look at the trajectory of the monarch population, you can see if you graphed it, you wouldn't be buying that stock if it were on Wall Street right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and or maybe you would because you want you want to buy it when it's low so that it goes high. Is that the idea? You know, short selling the monarchs yeah. here, um, but uh, we've we've heard a lot in the last few years about something that people are calling the windshield effect, and this mm. this has been documented quite a bit in Europe, where in general people are uh, it's named that because people are seeing fewer bugs on their windshields. Okay, drive. we'll believe we'll, we'll that the windshield effect coming up next on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. It's plant sale time, and here's the wonderful news. Wherever you live in the Chicago area, there's a plant sale near you that includes a large variety of native plants. Now, we can't list them all here, but we want you to know there's a great place to find all the local sales. Go to chicagolivingcorridors.org for a comprehensive list, or just go to mikenovak.net and click on the plant sale link. Some sales have pre-order requirements. Go native or go home. After a big party is over, the people get to go home, but all the decorations get thrown in the trash. That's why there's random acts of flowers. RAF collects flowers used at weddings, memorial services, and community events, then repurposes them into beautiful bouquets to deliver to people in healthcare facilities. It's a small and simple gesture, but when you see the smiles on people's faces, it's more than worth it. To learn more, call 847-430-4751 or go online at rafchicago.org. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. That sound you hear is my time machine letting me know it's time to return to our own world. This is your talk, WCGO. Hang on. You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue, visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki continuing our rain theme. And our, our apologies to people who are not experiencing rain today, but uh, we are. 
So uh, the, the, the whole Midwest is experiencing. I know it's not just us. If all you have to do is look at the radar and just see it's uh, gone crazy. Uh, and for those of us, uh, those of you who get this uh, uh, on a delay, maybe a week later, you will be you will have read about this in the paper and the blizzard in Minneapolis and the blizzard in uh, Wisconsin and Upper Peninsula. My brother lives in Manistique, Michigan, and they're going to get hammered. Uh, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and I know other people living along the northern tier of the mm-hmm. United States uh, who are just getting whacked yeah, by but this. It's been an overall pretty dry winter, um, so this should be helping the water tables a well, little bit. Yeah, interesting timing on all of this, and we're going to get into that with our guest here, Doug Terran, Ph.D., who's the chief curator of the Chicago Academy of Sciences, those of you who are in Chicago uh, recognize it as the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. And when we left, he teased us with something <laughs> that is really fascinating, which is the windshield effect when it comes to insects. And, and not just insects, but bugs, I guess. But tell us about the windshield effect, Doug. Well, it, it was so named because people started noticing that when you drive, particularly out in the country, you don't get all of the bugs all over your windshield. And so people, particularly in Europe, have been doing more formal studies than looking at people's windshields and uh, simply assessing uh, general insect biomass. And um, it's they have seen declines. Mm-hmm. And as we look uh, in this country, I am anticipating that we're going to see similar types of declines here as well. So and you started that conversation by by talking about a decline in general in the Chicago area that you were a little bit concerned of over the last four or five years. Right. Yeah. That decline is specifically of butterflies. And but, but, I, but the, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it's connected to other insects as well. Um, absolutely not. I mean, we, we certainly don't know why we might be seeing a general decline in butterflies. When we've looked at this sort of thing before, it's been much more species specific. Uh, a butterfly that requires prairie habitats is not doing well because the prairie is declining, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. This is um, a much more general observation that we're seeing that overall numbers are simply declining. And so that includes species that are perfectly well adapted to live in Chicago and to live uh, in urbanized or agriculturalized mm-hmm. areas. Uh, just overall numbers seem to be declining. Is some of that possibly due to so much more monoculture? That it can't support the species? There are any number of things that could be uh, influencing here, uh, you know, changes in agricultural mm-hmm. practices, um, advances in insecticide technologies, that sort of thing. Um, we just don't know yet. Um, this is this is all very preliminary. We don't yeah. even have, with, with the butterfly data that I was speaking to, we don't even really have a formal analysis of it yet. It's just... Uh, and and uh, raw observation of the numbers. And are you getting similar reports from around the country? Do you, when you hobnob with your fellow entomologists, uh, do you hear the same kind of reports? Um, my last hobnobbing with people was back <laughs> in January when um, various uh, heads of these butterfly monitoring networks around the country mm-hmm. um, met in in um, Maryland, and. The general uh, discussion there was, oh, that's really interesting. We need to look at our data and see if the same thing is happening there. So this is this is very new information on the. Ah, so you're you're in the forefront of this, and it doesn't surprise me a bit because it's got to be a decade ago already. Boy, time flies. When I was doing some research on something or other and stumbled across 
uh, some information about insect biomass planet-wide and how there was a precipitous decline. Uh, and you know where that leads. It, you know, when we lose our insect biomass, we're losing the food, food source for so many different species. Uh, and, and, uh, I can't imagine that it's, go- you know, and, and recently I've read about, uh, in Germany, uh, losing insect biomass in particular. Yeah, you're nodding. So you've heard yeah, of the study. Global as well. population yeah. drops in the biomass. Yeah. yeah. The, the Germany study is, uh, cited, uh, very frequently when people discuss the windshield effect. So, you know, that's, uh, that's one of the keystone studies. Uh, and, and, and actually, and, uh, often when you, when you talk about anecdotal evidence, you have to be really, really careful, mm-hmm. right? Because, and that's one of the reasons you have something like the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network so that you get specific data. Uh, uh, however, however, when anecdotal evidence becomes widespread, I imagine then you start to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is real important about anecdotal evidence is it's great fodder for hypotheses. So you can take these anecdotes and say, okay, I wonder if there's anything to that. Well, we've got this nice data set here. Let's look at it and see, can we use the data that we have to address that question? And and sometimes you can. And that indeed is the value of things like the Illinois and other butterfly monitoring networks around the country. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. And that, and that takes us, I don't know, the, the conversation <laughs> could go almost anywhere at this point, but. Uh, it takes us to specifics in terms of climate change. You know, we're talking about the things that might lead to a decline in insect population. There's the usual suspects. There's pesticides. There's habitat loss. There's, there's climate change. There's, uh, all kinds of different things that, uh, you know, as Peggy mentioned, um, uh, agricultural, uh, uh, habits and, uh, and techniques. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. Um, but climate change is one of them. And, are we witnessing in the upper Midwest this spring uh, something of concern with a very late, very cold spring or a very late winter, or early, very cold spring? Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see what happens. And this is another uh, case where it's great that we're getting numbers on mm-hmm. this sort of thing. I have been in the Chicago area since about 1980. I don't remember anything quite like this ever happening before. So I don't have a lot of experience to draw on here, but we will at least get to see what happens. Uh, this is the latest I have gone with seeing zero butterflies in the Chicago area. I've actually seen one butterfly in Illinois this year. I was in Carbondale a week ago, and, and it was cold even down there, but yeah. we, did, we did see one common sulfur butterfly but that's, down there. <laughs> that's too cold for the insects to be flying. It's it's way too cold to the ins- for the insects to be flying. I certainly wouldn't go out and look at anything. Now, there are a few species that like cold weather, mm-hmm. uh, things like winter crane flies. There are uh, uh, species that fly Which, even in but, the... But that's not a butterfly. No, it's it? not a butterfly. But there are insects out even during the coldest yeah. days. But the numbers are very, very low. But it's just too cold for the for that insect. What, what is it about, uh, aside from the body temperature, because they're uh, exo... Uh, uh, skeleton, ectothermic, yeah. and, and so they, they adapt to the temperature around them, and if it's too cold, they, they can't function at all, basically, right? Right. In general, butterflies are said not to be able to fly below about 65 degrees. Now, I have, <laughs> wow. Ah, now I have, I have seen evidence or to fly the contrary. Well. <laughs> yeah. I have seen evidence to the contrary. I've seen butterflies, um, up, uh, at Illinois Beach State Park. Uh, with the temperatures in the upper 50s. There weren't a lot of them, but they were flying. Mm-hmm. So. so 
a report that came in from meteorologist Rick DeMaio that comes from NOAA.gov um, talking about the whole Midwest. Cold weather throughout the month of March and to start the month of April has slowed growth and planting across the Midwest. Uh, medium freeze dates uh, are probably going to move out later. Only southern Kentucky has reached more than 150 growing degree days since February 1st. So the entire region is far below at this point. Yeah, and I... I... I'm wondering, are when when the temperatures do warm up, are we going to see things like um, desynchronizing of um, caterpillars and bud burst for their host plants? That's meaning of thing. meaning uh, you might get the caterpillars. Uh, things are warming up. The caterpillars start getting active, but it's been so cold that the plants have not uh, started greening up yet, and so the species of plants that they need could conceivably. Uh, not be around when the caterpillars are there ready to eat. We've actually seen something like that in reverse happen mm -hmm. before. In 2012, when we had the really hot March, it was in the 80s for like a yeah. week and a half, um, the uh, Kerner blue, which is an endangered species of butterflies that used to fly in northwest Indiana, uh, their eggs appeared to hatch before their host plants had come up, and we have not seen them in northwest Indiana since that Right. Year. You talked about that on the show before, that that might have been the, the uh, what's the word, episode uh, that sort of put the kibosh on them, just wiped them out here in this part of the country. And to be able to sit, and because you haven't seen any since, have you? No. No, and it's not just me. None have been seen since, uh, I think there were two seen in 2013, and then that was in the this end of area it. or yeah. anywhere. Northwest Indiana. Northwest Indiana. Hmm. So to, to actually live through something like that is, is stunning because to be able to see it in real time, we're seeing things. And again, talking about climate change, that's one of the, uh, the factors. Uh, that, that is affecting this. And, and again, it seems like this spring we're watching in real time it have an effect on our insects yeah. and the butterflies. In the Midwest, I was just looking at the National Phenology Network, which is, looks at when plants, uh, when trees start leafing out, when blooms start happening. Um, it's actually first bloom arrived earlier than long-term average across much of the Southwest and Southeast, yet parts of Texas, it's late. So it's all messed up. You know, we're talking here, everything's late. Parts of the country in the southeast are way early. And and you mentioned uh, the, the mismatch, the t a timing with, with plants and, and insects. And I and I posted something about that, I want to say, a couple of weeks ago uh, on the Facebook page, the Mike Novak Show on Facebook. And there's more and more of this going on, and it's it's, it's a classic sign of, of climate change and, and how it throws various species out of whack with, with each other. Ecosystems are so interconnected, it doesn't take a lot of changing of timing of things to really mess some things up. Now, some species are going to be much more resilient, but there are going to be species that are, are really going to have a hard time if things change too much. That's uh, Doug Terran, Ph.D., Chief Curator of the Chicago Academy of Sciences. It's always a pleasure to have him on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking butterflies, insects. Hey, if you want to Call in and ask a question, 877-711-5611. We're, of course, taking your comments and questions on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. On Twitter, it's at Mike Now, M-I-K-E-N-O-W. And on Instagram, which we 
actually sometimes look at. It's <laughs> also, <laughs> I know, and that's the one with the pictures. That's the one we should be looking at. But, hey, we're radio, okay? This is the way it works here. Uh, so that takes us back around to the spring of 2018, which I have a feeling is going to go down in the record books because I looked at the forecast. I don't see anything basically above 50 uh, in the next seven days, maybe longer. And that's, in the, nope. again, this is Chicago region, but if it's Chicago, it's going to be Minneapolis. It's going to be Michigan, Michigan uh, Ohio, out, out east, uh, Ohio I, Valley. I would, yeah, Ohio. And, and, and who knows exactly where it's, uh, does that give you concern? Because you're a guy who's sitting around with your net waiting for butterflies. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just had to, nah, he doesn't go out there. Yes, he does sometimes with a net, but you're, how do you even plan to go out and, and hunt for species? Well, generally, you know, I pay attention to the weather forecast, too. This is this is really, as I said, unprecedented. So I don't know. I suspect that things are going to, when the weather finally warms up, things are going to happen very quickly. Yeah. Um, but I know that sometimes I've had a lot of problems looking for early spring species before. There were two really rare species up at Illinois Beach State Park. And I like to go visit them sometimes. And I will leave home in Elgin and it'll be 75 degrees out. And I'll, I'll get to Waukegan and the wind is off the lake. It's foggy mm -hmm. and 42 and nothing is flying. And I've just yeah. driven an hour and a half for nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the microclimates from the yeah. lake. Uh, okay, well, let's take a phone call. Uh, again, 877-711-5611. And we have Bill, was it? Uh, Bill from Rogers from Park. From Rogers Park. Bill, you're on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Good morning. Hey guys, good morning, and uh, as always, a great show. I wanted to get your guest's perspective. Um, I grew up um, many, many years ago, and uh, there were always swarms of bugs in the summertime uh, around uh, around street lights, and street lamps. And the last several years, we've noticed that there are few to none any longer, particularly here in the city, uh, around street lamps. Street lamps, and I, and and it, it felt alarming to us, and I wonder if it uh, if if that's further evidence of what you're talking about. I think it could be certainly further evidence of what we're talking about. I, I would use streetlights as sort of the nighttime version of the windshield mm -hmm. effect where, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, you know, those, um, streetlights could frequently be a great place to look at nocturnal insects. Um, and I haven't done a lot of that the last couple of years here in Illinois, so I haven't really been paying as much attention, but it would certainly go along with other things that uh, that we're seeing. Does it make a difference? I don't know if you know the answer to this, but you are the entomologist in the room. He's the bug guy. All right. Whether it's incand incandescent or mercury vapor or sodium vapor or LED in terms of attracting bugs. Uh, different wavelengths of light attract different species of bugs. When you mm -hmm. actually go out and deliberately try to use lights to collect nocturnal insects, you'll um, frequently use a variety of different light sources. So you'll use a fluorescent black light. You'll use a, a halogen light. And it can make a big difference. I've never noticed that the really orange sodium vapor lights are particularly good at attracting stuff. Ah. All right. Well, so, Bill, what we're going to do is take your comment. We put it in the anecdotal hopper. <laughs> and, and it becomes part of the citizen evidence that we weigh at some point in the future. Uh, oh, he's gone. See, he just ducked out of here. He didn't even want to hear my analysis of it. He was it. standing in the rain. <laughs> All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking insects. 
uh, with Doug Terran from the Chicago Academy of Sciences. We will be right back, and we hope you stick around for that, too. Did you know that there are 17,000 chemicals used in the array of common household cleaners? But only 30% of these are tested for side effects on human health and the environment. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. The average household has 3 to 25 gallons of toxic materials in the house, most of which are cleaning products. When buying cleaning products, avoid anything that bears a poison label, duh, but especially products that contain diethylene glycol, formaldehyde-based deodorizers, triclosan, phenols, petroleum solvents, perchloroethylene, and other hard-to-pronounce stuff. Check out sites like EWG.org, who have done the homework for you already. Or make your own. It's an easy, non-toxic solution. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. Did you know that today is Take a Native Plant to Lunch Day? Well, every day is when you grow plants from natural communities' native plants. This year, you can get your hands on hard-to-find edibles like wild leeks and golden seal instead of stealing them from forest preserves, which is illegal, and a whole forest of permaculture shrubs and fruit trees like service berries, pawpaw, and persimmon, and nut trees like pecan, hazelnut, and walnut. They even carry wild strawberries and other native fruits. Natural Communities has the largest selection of native plants, shrubs, and trees in the Midwest. They even have native garden kits for beginners. And they're happy to provide you with education about sustainability to help you succeed. It was never so easy to make a positive difference in the world around you, even if you're a foodie. Don't just get back to nature, create it in your own backyard. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Naturalcommunities.net. Hi, this is Ron Calgill from Mighty House. We're on every Saturday from 7 to 10 a.m. right here live on 1590 WCGO. Getting kind of dramatic here. (laughs) Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Eh, no, it's not. It's just plain old clear. I hope rain. not. Yeah, that's just kind of. Have to wash my car then. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's you're not getting bugs on the car anymore. You might have to wash off the red rain. Uh, in the studio, we have Doug Terran, and we're kind of geeking out on insects today, which I think is important because one of the things I will say is that I don't think people are curious enough about insects. And when I do garden talks, I'll walk into a room and and. And and I learned this. Do you know Dr. Fred Miller, who teaches at Joliet Junior College? Uh, he's a great guy. And, and I, I took a course from him when I was studying to be a master gardener. And he said, people ask two questions when it comes to bugs and insects. One is, um, what is it? Second, how do I kill it? And they usually skip the first question, is what he said. Uh, and that really says something. And it's true about us, that because we watch uh these commercials on tv and they say here's how to kill bugs and they don't identify really what bug you're killing it's just be free to kill bugs folks because 
you're big and they're small and they're bad. Kids well, are taught to be scared of bugs. Uh, yeah. And, well, kids are not scared of bugs, but you're right. They're taught to be scared By of bugs. By their parents. And it's some, when you get your high school diploma, you have to sign a waiver that says, I will now be scared of bugs as an adult. Uh, because I wasn't as a kid. I thought they were cool and I would let them crawl on me, but now mm -hmm. I'm an adult, so I can't. So, ew. Yeah. So, uh, and that makes me nuts. Uh, and, and I imagine it makes you nuts as an entomologist yourself. Oh, it, it does. You see it on Facebook all the time. People will post a picture of a, uh, an insect of some sort wondering what it is and get deluged with comments that generally are some variation on kill it with fire. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, one of the things we're telling you is be curious. Please, the world needs more curious people. We really do. And, and I tell folks when you find a, uh, a critter on your plant, a bug or an insect. And again, not all insects, uh, it's like not all bugs are insects because you've got the centipedes and millipedes and slugs and all kinds of other things out there. And of course, we know there's a classic, uh, classic definition of insects. So, uh, at any rate, be curious. If there's something on there, it doesn't, it's not necessarily doing any harm. It's maybe just doing its job and maybe it's actually helping you, helping your garden, helping your soil, helping your plants, uh, destroying, uh, is a predator perhaps destroying other insects? Yeah. I think people uh, talk a lot about two things with insects in terms of the role that they play. Maybe three being at the bottom of the food chain, um, being predators and being pollinators. And those are all important roles of insects, but they mm -hmm. do so many other things. They're decomposers. So they'll be breaking down plant material and helping build soil. They are, uh, oh, there are all kinds of complicated and interesting parasitic yeah. relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's just, they do so much. <laughs> they, they really do. So let's get to, we're going to, we've got a call we're going to get to in a second. Jim, hang on. Uh, real quick, let's do a quick monarch update. Um, here in the middle of April, uh, I, I, if you go to my website, mikenovak.net, uh, you can find, I linked to the map from Journey North, uh, which shows where monarchs are. And as of April 12th, they were already in Southern Illinois and Missouri and, you know, along that kind of the Mason Dixon line at this point, right? Yeah, I, I've gotten one report from Southern Illinois of a monarch. Uh, the Journey North's map really shows them all kind of coming up against this entrenched mm -hmm. mass of cold air and not really going any further north. Ah, yeah. Um, That's interesting because as one of the things they ha they they animate the map for you so you can see what happens mm -hmm. through each time period. When we get to the end of 2018, it's going to be fascinating to look at what happened here in yeah. late March, early They're April. They're just clumped. Yeah, I'm just uh, looking at the map. They're waiting just... for it to warm up here. Um, so that was one thing. But mentioning the monarch in the migration, and by the way, for those of you keeping track of what happened in Mexico and the populations, it declined by about 15% over the winter. And Doug, Doug shakes his head because we've had this argument on the show before. Doug is the guy who says that might not be the be-all and end-all of uh, monarch count. You are a guy who looks at their count in the summer. And and your and your argument is we need to take that into account too. And are you going to figure out how to do that? Well, I think um, I'd like to speak to the fifteen percent first, <laughs> um, because if you look at the numbers of monarchs that are measured either in Mexico or in Illinois annually, they jump and down a lot. That is way outside the range of statistical normal vary way way less than the range of statistical normal variation for that species. 
if you look at the last three years, people have made a big deal out of the fact that there have been declines both of the last two years, but relative to more normal variation, they're very, very small. I would, I would say that over the last three years, there uh, has been uh, no real significant change in the monarch Statistically. Population. Statistically, yeah. Right. Now, long term, yeah, there are concerns. All right. But you're saying look at the populations in the summer when they are reproducing in their range in North America and the United States and Canada. Well, we have to look at everything. Um, there, uh, there has been some data suggesting that um, we're not seeing, the, again, statistically significant declines here in uh, the summer part of their range that we're seeing in Mexico. On mm -hmm. the other hand, uh, the data sets, the um, northern data set and the Mexican data sets, really correlate closely with each other. So this is something that uh, I think needs um, more work, more analysis, and I don't want to be too cavalier about it. I, d I don't want to say there's no problem. Uh, on the other hand, it makes me a little crazy every time, well, the numbers are marginally lower than they were last year. We're all going to die sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So that's on the eastern populations. Do you have any in information data on the western population? I personally have much less um, information about the western population. I just um, have not had the bandwidth to pay attention yeah. to that to the degree that there, I can But there, there was a lot of stories last year that that population was... We're down by like 200,000 or so, or down yeah. to 200,000, I think it was. It was, it's, yeah. And there are different populations of monarchs and which takes us to the whole migratory thing, which, uh, folks know that monarch butterflies migrate from North America down to Mexico mm -hmm. and then back up. But what you and I talked about the other day was the misconception that people have that all butterflies migrate. Yeah, I think the monarch migration is so well known. It's such a dramatic phenomenon that people are really aware of it. And I think that uh, I've, I've encountered a lot of people where the assumption is that butterflies in general migrate. So people will ask me, well, are they back yet? This sort of thing. And if you're not talking about a monarch, you're not really talking in general about something mm -hmm. that's going to come back. And there are all kinds of butterflies that spend the entire winter here in Illinois. Some of them even spend the winter as adult and, butterflies. And they, they actually overwinter. They actually overwinter. Because you know, I think a lot of folks assume if it doesn't overwinter, it's just going to die and its offspring will come back in the spring. But you're saying that there are butterflies that can overwinter. Where, where do they go? Well, there are, depending on the species, all four of the life stages are used to overwinter. So some overwinter as eggs, uh, some overwinter as caterpillars mm -hmm. or, or chrysalises, a few like morning cloaks even overwinter as adults. Wow. And of course, the question always comes up, well, how do they not freeze to death? And the way they don't freeze to death is they secrete large quantities of antifreeze compounds mm. like glycerol into their body fluids. And glycerol is very chemically similar to um, propylene glycol, which is the antifreeze in your car. And so this keeps ice crystals from forming inside of the butterfly's bodies. And that prevents the cell damage that's actually the way that freezing kills things. That's amazing. A word of advice to our listeners, please don't drink antifreeze <laughs> to stay warm in the winter. Okay, we need to take a quick phone call. Uh, Sonar, uh, I believe we have Jim on the line here. Jim from Chicago, you're on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for taking my call. Good morning. The prior caller asking about bugs around the lights, I kind of remember that, and that's what prompted me to call now. When I was growing up in the late 50s, early 60s, my grandfather had a garden in the backyard, yuccas, dahlias, strawberries, and I remember 
there were these, we call them banana spiders, like yellow and black. Yes, and I remember those. Webs hmm. on there. And my friends and I would always want to get a jar and catch them. <laughs> and then, too, in the house next door to us, their gutter came down in our gangway. And there were always spiders making webs between the house and the gutter. But now I don't see anything like that anymore. No more insects, spiders, anything like that. So I was just wondering, is that climate change or just what happened? Well, the uh, the black and yellow spiders that you are remembering are, uh, they go by a number uh, of names. There are Jayapi spiders, and they are uh, particularly noticeable very late in the summer when they get very big. And they seem to have um, uh, had a better year the last couple of years, but they did go through a period of decline. Uh, as I was saying earlier, everything is very, very interconnected here. So if mm-hmm. we're seeing a general decline in insect biomass, uh, things that feed on insect biomass, like spiders, are going to see their, their prey base eroding. And so um, uh, I am not aware of any numbers on uh, spider populations over time, but uh, it certainly would not be surprising uh, that, that they have experienced declines. Uh, that's a great uh, observation, Jim. Uh, I really appreciate you calling and, uh, and I appreciate you listening to the show. Oh, sure. I enjoy it very much. Thank you. All right. Have Thanks, a great Jim. Sunday. Uh, before we break and bring in meteorologist Rick DeMaio, um, uh, some practical advice. There are a lot of folks who listen to the show are gardeners. What they, can they do to encourage butterflies in their backyard? Um, how you, what you plant in your garden is a big thing. And Obviously, really, yes. <laughs> really, it's all about nectar sources. So mm-hmm. you, you want to have, um, uh, a lot of diverse nectar sources, so you've got bloom throughout the growing period. Uh, you want to mass things rather than scatter things. Butterflies have excellent color vision. Actually, actually that's a really good point yeah. because people are, are, are tasteful and they and they put one plant here and one plant there, and they think that is a design. But as you're saying, just slam them all in one place, and that's probably a better way to go, isn't it? Well, it'll it'll uh, encourage the butterflies more. Is uh, they they've got really good color vision. They'll see that big mass of color. Ah. Well, actually, that would make me think they don't have good color vision if they need the big mass of color. <laughs> Over here! <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it, it's more attractive to them. They're, they're seeing that that's where all the resources are because there's a lot of it there. And for goodness sake, if you if you value monarchs, plant milkweed and, and plant it. Common milkweed. Well, local milk. Yeah. Not, Lo- not necessarily yeah. common milk. You want but not local, a species lo- from local, elsewhere. Local to your area, right? Yeah, not the tropical milkweed. I think that's the big thing. Most of the other ones that are available are, are fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and if we could get a word out to the independent garden centers, it's like, go easy on the tropical mil- milkweed, okay? Let's plant the species that are important to your region. All right, the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're going to talk climate and weather and butterflies next. Whether it's March, July, September, or December, if you're a gardener, any time of year is perfect for a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region and one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, What to Do in the Garden, and even my column on the inside back page of every issue. I make up stuff and they pay me for it. 
Go figure. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere. But go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com. Or call 888-265-3600. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. A Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Afternoons have never been smarter, 1590 WCGO. Smart Talk for the North Shore. Well, it's all right. Now, you might think I played that song because I ran out of rain songs, which is true. <laughs> Uh, but it's also, uh, last segment of the show. So let's uh, bring in meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Rick, good morning. I, I haven't looked outside yet. What's it look like? What's it like? <laughs> it's a beautiful <laughs> sunny day. <laughs> I, did, I did not expect that from you. I have to admit. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, by the way, Rick, uh, Doug Terran, um, uh, from the Chicago Academy of Sciences, Peggy Notabart Nature Museum is here in the studio. And we I don't know if you caught any oh. of our conversation, but we've been talking. In. Uh, no, I, I, I was catching up on some work, so I, I missed it. But, I, that's okay. I, I heard butterflies. <laughs> yeah. I, heard, I didn't hear butterflies. Well, but, but the point we were making is, uh, Doug said he's been in the area since 1980. He's never seen a spring like this before. Uh, you've, never, you've, never. you've been around a long time. You've never seen anything like this either, have you? Since, um, well, I, I went, I got to Madison, Wisconsin in 83. Um, so that's not too far off from 1980, but the, the first 10 days of the month of April rivaled the, the cold spell that we had in 1975. So you got to go back to there. But I think what's most, most, you know, alarmingly, persistently, incredibly disturbing about this pattern is it, it, it's so widespread. I mean, the cold goes all the way literally from the eastern Rockies to New England and even into the deep south. Um, and if you look at a map globally, uh, the cold weather is basically over this area of the Midwest and the northeast of New England, uh, and nowhere else in the northern hemisphere. So I, I was at a, I was at a hockey game last night and the guy was like saying, yeah, so much for all this global warming stuff. I go, you gotta be careful about that. This is, this is this is only right here. He goes, I know it's not global warming, it's climate change. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. There's a difference between what's happening in one small part of the northern hemisphere relative to the rest, 
and then I think he kind of got that it was just more of a regional thing. But nonetheless, that that doesn't really help people understand the fact that this is really, really bizarre weather. Um, and more than anything, as a climate scientist, I shouldn't say a climate scientist, as a meteorologist who teaches climate change, it makes my job a lot tougher to sell when I go into class on Monday and Wednesday. Well, I, I'm kind of curious about that. I would think that if when you walk in and you're dragging your jaw across the floor because you've never seen mm-hmm. anything like this, your students would be impressed. I mean, you sent us this. This <laughs> Rick sent us this PowerPoint a couple of days About ago. Seventy-one pages. Seventy pages. Uh, and and I assume yeah. I assume that was for I'm, your. I'm not done with it, by the way. <laughs> and was that for your students or for your professional folks? Oh no, 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 that was for my students. Okay, that's what yeah, I thought. Wow. Okay, that's, I looked at that. Their, that's weekend homework. <laughs> oh my goodness, I I can't even imagine keeping up with that. And you said, okay, answer some questions. You should have seen this, Doug. It was uh, an amazing yeah. map map of the entire uh, North American uh, uh, continent and uh, all the different yeah, weather- everything, yeah, and, and a little bit of everything. And you said, okay, okay, a plane's landing in Denver. Tell me what's going to happen on Tuesday. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well. Well, it, it, it's all encompassing. That's for both aviation and climate and natural disasters. But, but most people associate, uh, climate change with, with warming everything. And, and that's why I've said before in the past, you have to be really careful about how you talk about this stuff is that everything is going to happen in this straight line. Uh, and it doesn't do that. Um, and I think what we see what's going on here is, the really what 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 has been becoming becoming and occurring more and more is these high amplitude ridges and troughs, um, which is coming more and more than norm, particularly in the autumn, um, and now in the spring. But this is kind of pushing the envelope. I think most people will look at this and go, "Holy smoke! It's getting colder and snowier as we go into the month of April." It's not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. The only good thing about the fact that it's been so cold for so long is not much is growing. And it was interesting, I sent you something from the Midwest Regional Climate Center that said, as cold as it's been, the fact that things are actually so far behind is is like less of a chance that they're going to be damaged with the late season uh, freeze or, or frost. Now, I know that I know that's kind of putting a lot of things on the table, a lot of ifs there, but it is true. I mean, things have not popped out, out of the ground any further than they did a week ago or two weeks ago, even though the trees, believe it or not, are beginning to bud. I think with that the warm weather that we had a couple of days ago is good news. But boy, you go north, walking north, of, they got no warm weather. Yeah. And Green Bay has now had more snow for the month of, of April than they had any month of the year. They just busted their all-time monthly snowfall by by two. You know, the, the double bit up there. So it, it's really, really strange anyway to slice it. Yeah, but... Really hard to, it's really hard to put a scientific um, a statement on this. Well, again, yeah, you're talking about plants, but as Doug's been talking about, maybe you can mention this real quickly, Doug, he's looking at insects who might be, uh, whose life cycles are more affected by the daylight than they are by warmth, and they come out, but the plants mm-hmm. the plants yeah. haven't come out, yeah. and no so there, there's no food. There's a mismatch here, right, Doug? Okay, we, we've seen this um, before with things that come out early, not having their food plant coming out yet, and, and um, mm-hmm. population declines or, or eliminations. Yeah, so, uh, and, and he mentioned earlier, Rick, uh, 2012, when we had all that warmth, and that, oh God! Yeah, and, yeah. and that and that might actually have led to the demise of what? What was the uh, the Kerner blue? The Kerner blue, lovely plumage. 
<laughs> pining for the fjords. I've been meaning to say that the whole time. Uh, but so we lost a butterfly because it got so warm. Now what happens right. when we have all this cold weather in the upper part of mm-hmm. the country? Uh, all it, And it looks like it's going to continue through April, doesn't it? Oh, Mike, there's massive freeze winds all the way down into areas of uh, Tennessee, Arkansas. Those are the areas that are going to be hurting. So if if anybody is look, is looking at how this has been hurt, more so from a standpoint of plants and flowers and birds and insects, uh, southern Midwest, southern plains where they're really warm. I mean, it, it's phenomenal not only how how cold it's been in some of those areas, but the, the drought is back on, across the Dust Bowl areas of, of Texas and Oklahoma, uh, less than a quarter of an inch of rain at Delhart since December 1st, and they had two days in the hundreds. That doesn't happen in early April. Childress and Delhart both had 100 degrees, and they got no rain, no snow. So, again, we, we keep seeing more of these extremes and more of these variabilities, and they're happening regularly and, and more and more, and, and you got to scratch your head and, Details flying back and forth between my weather geeks and me are, are, are getting to be more and more with a lot of questions at the end of the statements more than anything. So, uh, but it's good. It's, it's good science, but it's, but it's, it's really weird trying to figure this stuff off. Yeah. Uh, but, but as you say to the fellow and, and Doug says, has to say to other people, this is what climate variability looks like. This is like. Right. Textbook, right. textbook. Yeah. It's it's not yeah. the fact that every single part of the planet warms up all at the right. same time. Right. It's weird right. stuff, and this is sort of yeah. textbook climate variability, isn't it? Yeah, and, and agriculturally, it, it's really going to be amazing how the soybeans are being impacted in Iowa. And my one of my students groups, and I know we're short on time, is doing Brazil because they're really interested in the in the trade wars that's going back and forth. And Brazil is a big exporter of soybeans, and how is the the, the weather currently going to affect Iowa and whether that's going to have an impact on that. So we could talk more about that in the next couple of weeks, but it's really fascinating stuff. And that's what I'm trying to push my students is to understand this on a global stage and a money standpoint as well. I have a lot of students who are in finance and economics and bring climate change into their discipline, I think, is important. All right. Give us a real quick uh, forecast here, Rick. All right, so an inch or two of snow across the constant state line, sleet, freezing rain here, even snow tomorrow morning. We can actually see the ground white, uh, then a little bit of reprieve from the cold from Monday or for Tuesday, and then a little bit more rain back at us on Wednesday and then Sunday as well. Above normal temperatures, not for another week. Wow. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll be talking about this next week, too. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Doug Terran, for coming in. And thanks to all our guests on the show today. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, What? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.